0: Hello, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Glad that you are part of our study. We are in 1 Kings, and uh, chapter 19 of 1 Kings. We have been reading about Elijah. Elijah's uh, been an incredible prophet, doing incredible miracles. He does this big showdown with the prophets of Baal, and he calls down fire. And he's like, wow, this guy's something else. He speaks, and water starts falling from the sky again, and everything's great. And then he gets depressed. He gets bummed out because Jezebel gets in his head. Feels him full of fear. And uh, he just sits down and says, God, I just wish I was dead. Just take me, God. Just take me. I mean, this guy was seriously depressed. He was down. So anyway, finally God meets with him and basically says, you know, boo-hoo. Quit your whining. Be a man. Grow up. You're not the only one left. There's lots of other prophets. Stop. Get back to work. I like that. Verse 15, go back the way you came. Get back into it. Let's get going. Just don't sit around doing nothing. Get going. So uh, we see in verse 19, so Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shephet. Now Elisha is going to be, God spoke to him and said, go find this guy Elisha because he's going to be the prophet after you. You're going to mentor him and then he's going to come in and take over for you. So Elijah goes and he finds this Elisha guy. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. It's a bunch of oxen. And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. And immediately, Elisha had to know what that meant. That he is going to be now um, a servant to Elijah, learn from him, uh, pray for his anointing to come back into and, and his life. Uh, I don't know if God had spoken to him ahead of time, very likely. Uh, we don't know. All we know is that as soon as he throws his cloak around him, Elijah left his oxen and ran after Elijah. And right away he knew because he said, let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, and then I will come with you. And Elijah, he's got such an attitude. He goes, yeah, go back. What have I done to you? you know, I didn't do anything. I just threw my cloak on you. Go away. So, so Elijah left him, and he went back. And he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. Bad for the oxen. And he burned the plowing equipment, took the, cooked the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he sent out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Okay? So now we're, we're setting up the scene for the next incredible prophet by the name of Elijah. Uh, and, or Elisha. Elijah, Elisha. Kind of similar, obviously. And, uh, and then the, just the last few chapters here, uh, a little bit more about... Uh, some of the battles and stuff that these kings had fought and, and uh, uh, some of the stuff that uh, Ahab, this wicked king, was up to. I kind of wrestled with this. I thought, you know, we're just going to blow past this. But then I thought, you know, there's some things in here that are, that are worth reading. So we're going to go ahead and, and plow through this. It's, it's, it's not that much. Uh, uh, but we're not going to hear much about Elijah or Elisha until we get through these next just couple of chapters here, a uh, few chapters. And then we come back to Elijah and Elisha and continue to see how God uses these prophets in, in an amazing way. So let's uh, plow ahead. We are chapter 20 now. Now, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mustered his entire army. By the way, uh, when you look back at uh, when uh, God told Elijah to go back, uh, get back to work, one of the things he said is, I want you to anoint Hazael, king of Aram. Well, this is Ben-Hadad, the king now uh, that they're going to get involved with uh and anoint jehu the king over israel and stuff all this stuff comes to pass we don't know when he did this all we know is that he ran into elisha and did his thing we have to assume that he obeyed god and went and anointed these guys i don't know if they even knew what was going on uh because uh one of these guys they're not even followers of god uh but uh but we'll see a little bit later as we get into second kings that, that it comes to pass these are the people who become in charge but anyway, for right now, it's Ben-Hadad, king of Aram. He mustered his entire army, accompanied by 32 kings with their horses and chariots. And he went up to besiege Samaria, which is where uh, Israel is. This is the northern part of Israel. Remember, Israel is basically split in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. We've got the northern kingdom, which is the ten tribes of Israel. Then we have Judah, which is pretty much the tribe of the south. And then Benjamin, which is also a little tiny tribe, but... Uh, That's how the whole thing breaks out. So he goes up to Samaria and he attacks it. And he sent messengers into into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, saying, This is what Ben-Hadad says. Your silver and your gold are mine. And the best of your wives. You can keep the ugly ones, but I want the best ones. (laughs) Poor ugly ladies, And the children are mine. And the king of Israel answered, Just as you say, my lord, the king. I and all I have are yours. So immediately, he says, okay. Why? Because he is overwhelmed by this incredible uh, army that has come against them. And right away, he yields. Yes, you can have all my gold, my silver, and you can have the best-looking wives and the kids. Okay, well then, the messengers came back and said, well, this is what Ben Hadad says. I sent To demand your silver and gold, your wives and your children. But about this time tomorrow, I'm going to send my officials to search your palace and the houses of your friends. I will, I will seize everything you value and carry it away. Now, I don't really understand this. I'm sure somebody understands this, and I don't really care. But um, if he's taking all of your silver and your gold and your wives and your children, exactly what's left that you're concerned about? Isn't this even a little odd? You know, I was going to open up a dozen books and try and figure it out, but I didn't care. Who cares? But anyway, I mean, really, it has nothing to do with anything. I just think it's bizarre. So anyway, the king of Israel summoned all the elders of the land and said to them, so now, now he's freaked out. Now he calls everybody from the land. Seriously, I'd have been a little freaked when you said you're taking my good-looking wives and the kids and all my money. That would have got my attention right away. But he said, that's not enough. I'm going to come take everything you value. I don't know what. I don't know if it was because he was so into idol worship. It's possible. Maybe that's what it was. He was afraid that he'd lose some of the idols because Ahab was a bad king. It's amazing how we become dysfunctional, you know, and we start hanging on to the things we shouldn't be hanging on to. You know what I'm talking about? And, and people make priorities of things that shouldn't be prioritized, and they make decisions they shouldn't make, you know, and clearly this is where this boy is at. So there was something. That really upset him that now he gets everybody involved in. So, uh, uh, he summons all the elders of the land and says, See how this man is looking for trouble! Exclamation point. When he sent for my wives and children my silver and gold, I did not refuse him. I mean, it's no big deal. Again, very odd. Uh, But now he wants all my stuff. Again, what is left, it's got to be something bizarre, weirdo, dysfunctional, crazy, psycho thing. It you know, wouldn't surprise me it has to do with his idols and stuff. Again, really a sign of dysfunctional people making very strange decisions. Well, then the elders and the people answered, Well, don't listen to him or agree to his demands. I would have said that with the money and the wives. So he replied to Ben-Hadad's messenger. He says, Well, you tell the Lord, my lord, the king, your servant will do as you demanded the first time. And I was, I will give you all my money. I'll give you the wives. I'll give you the kids. The man's a pig. He's a dysfunctional pig, clearly. But what I really—and boy, isn't—is isn't, that, that doesn't—if that doesn't picture some guys that I know. Good Lord, you just want to cast the devil out of them. You know, take my wife. I don't care. My kids. I don't care about that. You know, you know don't touch my big-screen TV. You know. you know, I'm saying it's priority here. You know, I, I, I know men who prioritize the weirdest things in their lives. Ignore their wives, their children, even their finances for some sick, bizarre thing. Man, sad. This is where this guy is at. He said, I was going to give it all to you, but this demand, the fact that you're going to come take everything again, what is it? I don't know. Who cares? He's got problems. So they left and took the answer back to Ben-Hadad. Well, Ben-Hadad sent another message to Ahab. He's ticked off. He said, well, may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely if enough dust remains in Samaria to give each of my men a handful. Very dramatic. These people are very dramatic people. So no one's going to have any you know, Yeah, like you're going to get rid of all the dust in Samaria. I don't think so. But if so the king answers, and he sticks it back in his face. Well, tell him, one who puts on his armor should not boast like one who takes it off. <laughs> I guess the implication there is the one who's alive puts on his armor. Don't You're a little bold as you're going to take it off because I'm going to kill you. All right? Well, Ben-Hadad heard this message while he and his kings were drinking in their tents. And he ordered his men, what? Prepare to attack! So they prepared to attack the city. Well, meanwhile, a prophet came to Ahab, king of Israel, announced. We don't know that. Because it's amazing. Some of these, they'll mention who some of these prophets are, and other times they don't mention their names at all. These nameless, faceless prophets. I don't know where Elijah and Elisha are at at this point, you know. But uh, so here comes this prophet, other prophet. And he prophesied to Ahab, This is what the Lord says. Do you see this vast army? I will give it into your hand today, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Then you will know? Hello? What was just what just happened here? We have the prophets of Baal, you know, psyching me, Baal, bring down the fire, Baal. Nothing happens. Elijah, Elijah comes and says, "Oh wow, zoom!" Woo. I mean, God is showing up big time. And God says, "I'm going to do this, and then you'll know that I'm." I'm if there's one thing as you, as we read through this, is how patient God is. Seriously, ser- have you ever messed up and felt bad? Anybody? And then you messed up again. And then you felt worse. And then, you sinners, you messed up again. <laughs> and then you really felt like, oh, God must hate me. I don't know why God has anything to do with me. I don't know. I don't know. I'm nothing but dog poo. God must hate me. God must hate me. Hey, relax a little bit. God is patient, He is kind even when dealing with this pig of a man who is one of the worst kings, we'll even see a little bit here the, as we read later that uh, you know, there wasn't anybody as rotten as this guy. This guy was like, he, he was the worst of the worst. And there were some bad guys. Even with this pig of a man who was a slime bag and unfaithful and insulting God, God kept reaching out to him Constantly reaching out to him. He says, now, now, now you'll say, I'll show up and I will deliver you and you'll know that there is a God. Wow. So chill out. I think God can handle your struggles. Okay? He doesn't hate you. Now, you don't want to keep sinning the same sin over and over again, obviously, because you're not going to get anywhere. But God isn't freaking out. When you stumble, he doesn't go, oh, myself, I never thought they'd do that. Oh, I never thought of that. Oh, how terrible. He's seen it all before. He's what in the world happened to my pulpit now? <laughs> what the heck? Oh, the whole thing fell off altogether. See, I, I have been accused of losing my screws, but now it has come to pass. There we go. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, Tentious man of a fly. All right, now. So guys, now I'm going to show. And uh, he says, I'm, I'm going to deliver you. And then Ahab said, well, well who, who's going who's to head the deal? Who's going to do this? And the prophet replied, this is what the Lord says. The young officers of the provincial commanders will do it. And, and Ahab said, well, who's going to start the battle? I mean, these guys wanted really details. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And the prophet answered, well, you're going to do it. So Ahab summoned the young officers of the provincial command, 232 men. And he assembled the rest of the Israelites, 7,000 and all, really pretty much outnumbered by these other guys. And they sat out at noon while Ben Haddad and the 32 kings allied with him were back in their tents getting drunk. Ben Haddad had issues. Noon? You're getting drunk at noon? Could lord, I know it's 5 o'clock somewhere, but come on. You know, even people in Green Bay wait till Miller time. Or what? Noon! Noon, the king and all his buddies are getting wasted in the middle of the day. Good Lord, idiots. All right, so. uh, The young officers of the provincial commanders went out first. Now, Ben-Hadad had dispatched scouts who reported, hey, men are advancing from Samaria. And he said, if they've come out for peace, then take them alive. Actually, he probably said, if they've come out for peace, take them alive, okay? And then if they've come out for war, take them alive. It's like, hello? Now, which one do we take them alive? I mean, it's the same thing. That guy's had to be drunk out of his mind. And if they do one thing, take them alive, but if they're doing the other, then take them alive. Idiots. So the young officer of the provincial commanders marched out of the city with the army behind him, and each one struck down his opponent. So these, these Jewish guys come down, and they just start wiping out people in front of them. And then the Arameans freak out, and they run, and the Israelites are in pursuit. But Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, escaped on horseback with some of his horsemen. Uh, the king of Israel advanced and overpowered the horses and chariots and inflicted heavy losses on the Arameans. So afterward, the prophet came to the king of Israel and said, Strengthen your position and see what must be done, because next spring... The king of Aram will attack you again. So God's warning him, we're not done. He's going to come back. Well, meanwhile, the officials of the king of Aram advised him, look, their gods, I'll tell you what went wrong. I'll tell you what went wrong. Their gods are the gods of the hills. We can't win in the hills. They're hill gods. That's why they were too strong for us. These guys have been in the hooch too, I'm telling you. But, But if we fight them on the plains... Well, then surely we'll be stronger than they are. (laughs) Of course, these idiots went, yeah, good plan. Yeah, I like this. Good plan. So do this. Remove all the kings from their commands and replace them with other officers. You must raise up an army just like the one you lost. Horse for horse. Chariot for chariot. The same big Yomam army. Get it all together and we can fight Israel on the plains. Then surely we will be stronger than they are. And they acted with them, uh, agreed with them and acted accordingly. Okay, So next spring, Ben and Daddy gets this big Yomama army together and they went to Aphek to fight Israel. And when the Israelites were also mustered uh, and given provisions, they marched out to meet them. The Israelites camped opposite them like two small flocks of goats. (laughs) (laughs) While the Arameans covered the countryside. Okay, So it's it's a huge army. They whipped their butts the first time. Way outnumbered, because God was with them. Because it was the hill gods. I know, she has got to do the plains. So they come, they got this big, yo mama. They look like a couple of flocks of uh, goats, you know, out here. And here we go again. So, um, the man of God came and told the king of Israel, this is what the Lord says, because the Aramaeans think that God is the God of the hills and not of the valleys, a bunch of nimrods. I will deliver this vast army into your hands, and you will know that I am the Lord your God. I thought he would have known the last time. Again, constantly 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 reaching out to this guy and he's not done yet it is so take courage when you make mistakes and he keeps you know, again we want to help you so you can get past the same dumb things because it just hurts yourself but don't think god hates you he doesn't hate you he's not blown away because you struggle he isn't you know thinking you know gee i'd oh, give him three tries but after that you're out you know it's not three strikes with god somebody say amen, amen. okay you know finally three times you know, you're in trouble. But not with God. He's patient and he's kind. Hang in there. Well, for seven days, they camped opposite each other. So seventh day, they just sat there and stared at each other for seven days. And then on the seventh day, the battle was joined. And the Israelites inflicted 100,000 casualties on the Aramean foot soldiers in one day. Boy, that had to be depressing. If you're an Aramean, I mean, how do you know? We got a flock of goats out there and they're killing everybody. Those are mean goats. Well, the rest of them escape to the city of Aphek. And they get to the city of Aphek. And they're getting there to get comfort. And what happens? A wall collapses on 27,000 of them. This is a bad day. And then Ben-Hadad fled to the city and hid in an inner room. And then his officials said to him, Look, look, look. We've heard the kings of the house of Israel are merciful. Let's go to the king of Israel with sackcloth around our waist and ropes around our heads. Perhaps he will spare your life. So wearing sackcloth around their waists and ropes around their heads, they went to the king of Israel and said, your servant Benedet says, please let me live, please, please. And the king said, is he still alive? He is my brother. Now, back in this time, and really for a long time, it wasn't even just a couple hundred years ago, just even among the kings and uh, uh, queens of, of, uh, of Europe, you know, they all consider themselves blue bloods and special. Some of them were actually literally related to each other, even though they go to war with each other, and they consider themselves, you know, so he had this, well, he's my brother, he's a king, I'm a king, we're all kings, you know, he's my brother, you know. Now, he's disobeying God right away. Now we don't you don't know this in detail. We're about to find out that God had told him to kill Benadad, and he hadn't done it yet. So instead of killing Benadad after God has been showing up and doing it again, Ahab was a pig. And dense, dense as he could be. So instead. He says, He's my brother. And then the man took it as a good sign, and we're quick to pick up his, his, uh, with, with his word. Yes, your brother, Ben Hadad, your brother, he's your brother, brother, brother. So they bought into the brother deal. Well, go get him, the king said. And when Ben Hadad came, Ahab had him come up into his chariot. I will return the cities my father took from your father, Ben Hadad offered. So Ben being very, of course, he just got beat. I'll give back everything we took. And, and you may set up your own market areas in Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. And Ahab said, well, on the basis of a treaty, I will set you free. So he made a treaty with him and let him go, which he wasn't supposed to do. Okay, he didn't finish the job God had told him to do. So, by the word of the Lord, one of the sons of the prophets said to him. So another prophet shows up. Actually, he's a prophet, but he's a son of a prophet. Uh, shows up, and he comes to his companion and says, strike me with your weapon. But the man refused. In other words, take your sword and, and cut me wound me somehow. Well, it's kind of a weird request, right? Somebody's, you know, here, stab me with this. You know, I'm not going to stab you, you know. But the prophet gets mad. He says, because you have not obeyed the Lord, how is he supposed to know it was the Lord? <laughs> These guys were really strict, man. I'm telling you, you didn't mess with prophets. Remember, every once in a while, something would go wrong if they didn't do something, a bear or something would get them or whatever. Well, same deal here. Because you didn't obey the world. As soon as you leave me, a lion's going to kill you. Well, and after the man away, sure, a lion found him and killed him. <laughs> what a drag. Then the prophet found another man and said, strike me, please. Oh, yeah, I'll strike you. So the man struck him and wounded him. And then the prophet went and stood by the road, bleeding, obviously, waiting for the king. Again, everything was very dramatic in the day. And he disguised himself with his headband down over his eyes so he wouldn't recognize him as a prophet. And the king passed and the prophet called out, your servant. Went into the thick of the battle. And someone came to me with a captain and said, guard this man. You better watch this guy. If he's missing, it will be your life for his life. Or you must pay a talent of silver. But you know, I was, I was busy here and there. And the guy got away. I <laughs> said, so what are we going to do? And the king of Israel said, well, that's your sentence. And you pronounced it on yourself. You're going to get killed for this. And the prophet quickly removed his headband from his eyes. And the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. And he said to the king, that is what the Lord says to you. You have freed a man I determined should die. Therefore it is your life for his life. Your people for his people. And then sullen and angry, the king of Israel went off to his palace in Samaria. So this prophet basically condemns Ahab. You're going to get yours because you disobeyed God. All right, chapter 21. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So he's right next door to Ahab and Jezebel, and he's got this nice little vineyard. And Ahab said to Naboth, hey, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden. This is close to my palace. In exchange, I'll give you a better vineyard, or, or if you prefer, I'll, I'll pay you whatever it's worth. You know, I'd really like to have this property. But Naboth said, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father's. So it was, it's been in the family for a long time, and I'm going to protect this. So Ahab goes home, and he's sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite said, I will not give you the inheritance of my father. And he laid on his bed, sulking, and refused to eat. (laughs) I wanted it. I can't have it. I can't have it. I want it. I really want it. And this guy's out of control. He's a big, fat, selfish pig of a man who's a big, fat baby. Well, his wife Jezebel comes in and said, what is your problem? How come you're not eating? Well, because I said to Naboth, Naboth, sell me your vineyard. And he wouldn't give it to me. (laughs) And Jezebel says, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up, you girly man. Cheer up, come on. I'll get the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So the woman's got to step in. She takes over. But she's a mean, nasty woman, okay? This is Jezebel. So she sets up the scheme. So she writes letters in Ahab's name and places the seal on it and sent it to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city. In those letters she wrote, Listen, proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them testify that he cursed both God and the king and then take him out and stone him to death. Nice lady. So the the elders and the nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letters she had written. And they proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in this prominent place. And then the two scoundrels came in, sat opposite to him, and they're talking. All of a sudden they bring, hey, he cursed God. He cursed God and the king. You didn't do that. So these guys are both testified. We heard him. We heard him. Of course, Naboth's freaking out. He's got nothing to do about it. They take him outside the city. They stone him to death. And then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. So she just... Engineers this whole slimy plot to kill the guy. Well, as soon as Jezebel heard Naboth was stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Hey, get up, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. He refused to sell you, he's no longer alive, but dead. And when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take the possession of Naboth's vineyard. Well then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, here comes Elijah again. Elijah pops in back in the picture. He says, Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. You have, not, have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Ugh. Well, Ahab says to Elijah, when he sees him, Hi, ah, so you found me, my enemy. I found you, he said. Because you've sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. I'm going to bring disaster on you. I will consume your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and that of Basha. He just starts talking about some of these other kings that God had brought judgment on because they were so nasty. Because you provoked me to anger and caused Israel to sin. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, dogs will devour Jezebel by the walls, wall of Jezreel. That's pretty gross. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city and the birds of the air will feed on those who die in the country. And then parenthetically, they point out, there was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. So now check it out. This guy is, you don't get any worse than this guy. He is horrible. God has been constantly trying to reach out to this man in spite of his sin and his wickedness. And he proclaims judgment on him. He's going he's to die. And when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes. And he put on sackcloth and fasted. And he lay in sackcloth and went about meekly. And check it out. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. He says, hey, Elijah, have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day. But I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. So he cuts Ahab's slack again, even in the midst of his wickedness. The guy showed some humility. God noticed his humility and cut him some more slack. Okay? God is without question a merciful God. And when you see God all of a sudden showing up and just judgment, just horrible things happening, you gotta, you know, there has to be a pretty strong reason because God is very much driven by mercy and compassion. Uh, What's odd about this, I won't bring disaster on him, but I'll bring it uh, on the house of his son um this is not the first time we've seen this several times now we skipped over a lot of it but you know God would would speak judgment uh, even leave on Solomon Solomon sinned right but he didn't punish Solomon he waited until his sons came along and punished them now it's just kind of odd I don't get it I, I'm sure everybody's got all the theological reasons why but it just seems strange I mean if I'm coming along I don't want to get punished for what my dad did, you know but uh, very much part of the culture and uh, maybe it's that thing of you know more painful to you to know that your children are going to suffer, I don't know Uh, God really took this stuff seriously at one point, God even says in the scriptures, I will visit the sins of the father even unto the seventh generation you know, a scripture by the way which is taken out of context many many times, talking about generational curses and stuff, it's not talking about generational curses, that's God talking you don't take the name of Jesus to break a curse that God gave. It doesn't make any sense. Okay? He's just talking about God's judgment would come when dealing with these people. Do I understand it all? No. I don't understand a whole lot of things in the Old Testament. Old Testament is kind of hard to get. Uh, but then again, the times in which they were living, they were so violent. They were so evil. They were, I mean, it seemed like the only thing these people seemed to understand was a very firm hand from God. God would bless them and they'd corrupt themselves. And then God would discipline them and they would repent. And then on and on the cycle would go on and on until we get to the end of 2 Kings here. And then the whole nation gets taken into captivity and, uh, and kind of sets up uh, a bunch of other events in the Bible which we'll talk about when we get there. But uh, uh, God's hand was pretty strong to these people. And uh, why the sons were taking the rap, uh, why how all these things worked I'm sure somebody understands these things at some level. But it just, it's just like Wow. It's uh, pretty intense and pretty sad, uh, the way these things went on. Uh, let me do hit one thing about this scripture, and, and we were talking about it earlier today, I've been talking about this for many weeks to some people about this whole idea of generational curses. I know some people, especially in charismatic circles, are really into this generational curses thing and they need to break, cur- the reason you're struggling is there's a curse over you've got to break it again. And then they misquote the scripture as if the devil's talking. That's not the devil, that's God talking. And it's Old Testament judgment that it's not talking about curses going around on you. The problem I have with this is according to my Bible, as I understand the New Testament, the cross of Jesus Christ breaks every curse in my life. To almost talk as if somehow the cross was not enough. That Jesus' sacrifice was not enough. Therefore, you need additional intervention. Very uncomfortable with that. I'm sorry. And if you disagree with me, get in line, you know. (laughs) I mean, lots of people disagree with me about stuff. But I just say, as your pastor... You know, for what it's worth, I don't think there's, you know, the reason you're struggling in life is because of some magical curse over you that needs to be broken as if the cross of Jesus wasn't enough. I guarantee you the cross of Jesus was enough. He breaks every curse in your life. Jesus, when he died on that cross, he said, it is finished. It was finished. You don't need some alternate things to pull you out so then why am i struggling because you haven't gotten yourself into this you got to get into the word you've got to change the way you think you've got to resist the devil you've got to start walking this stuff out it ain't easy it takes discipline hence the word disciple come on and let's face it we're americans we're lazy (laughs) i mean you don't want to work who wants to work stuff you don't want to push a button you know microwave microwaves I mean we put things in you know I, I put a thing in a microwave I put it on for 15 seconds I'm going like <sighs> come on you know but ding it's like oh what took you so long good look do you remember when we used to have to boil water some of you geezers like me do you remember that I mean how long does that take Right, oh, so that takes forever. Now we gotta put it in the dark. We gotta wait 12 seconds. I can't take it anymore. It's like, you know, we've got such a, this instant. Look, Christianity, there's no microwave to this thing. There's a discipline to it. We're gonna show you, we're gonna teach you. That's the purpose of church and getting together and instructing people in the scriptures and saying, these are the disciplines that you need to walk out. Well, I'm struggling. I get that you're struggling. Let me show you. Let me show you how to resist the devil in your life. Let me show you how to have victory. Let me let me teach you what the scriptures say. Let's change the way you think, okay? I don't think there's some magical thing hanging over your head. Again, you disagree, get in line, but that's what I think. Anyway, great, okay, we'll be done for tonight. Uh, You guys can break off into your different campuses and have your time of questions. See you next Wednesday.